glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second John, beginning verse 1, would you stand with me? And let's go ahead and read the 13 verses. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you and peace, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. You may be seated. In verses 1 and 2, last week we saw there were words of confirmation. So he gives them words of confirmation, calling this lady elect and her children are the same. And um, he confirms... Uh, his assurance of their position in Christ. He confirms uh, his affection for them and affection for the truth and their affection for the truth. So he's just some confirming words about who they are and their relationship to the Lord and to each other and to the truth. Then he gives words of consolation, verse 3, when he says, Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Speaking of the sufficiency of God's supply for them and the source of that was the Lord himself and what, what he was giving to them. And then words of commendation, verse 4. We said much about this last week. What he commends them for is the walk of the children, that the second generation of Christians was walking in truth. That is commendable. Amen. And so that's what John commends, that he found her children walking in truth. Then uh, verse 5, he begins with and gives some words of commandment in verses 5 and 6. I believe we covered that as well. Last week where he talks about uh, he, the fact he's repeating, he said, I'm not writing something new to you, but what you've already heard from the beginning and what we're taught by the Spirit of God from the moment we're saved is to love one another. Amen. Uh, the Bible, Paul, Paul wrote very similarly, I believe, to the Thessalonians, talking about the fact they already knew that they were to love one another. And John says, I'm not telling you anything new. By the way, I think that's key. Those that were trying to creep in said, we've got something new. I'm, I'm just going to say it again. I reiterated it last week. Much of what Satan does is in that in that frame. You've heard this all your life. You're familiar with this truth. Let me tell you what the Bible really means. I remember the Da Vinci Code. What a bunch of nonsense. Someone extremely brilliant. I'm not saying that it's not brilliant, 
but it's, it was the doctrine of devils. There's not a hidden code in the Bible other than the code that Satan may pull out of it, amen, but not God. God is light. That's what John's saying. God is not hiding truth from you behind his back. There's certain truths that he's chosen to reveal at certain times, certain things that we know that Old Testament saints did not, but God was not being sneaky. He let them know there's some things coming down the line. God is light, and in him dwelleth no darkness at all. You're not going to get to heaven one day and say, I didn't realize God was like the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) You're not going to find that out, that he was the angry old man trying to make himself bigger than he really was. No, when you get to heaven, you'll only find God is greater than you ever knew. God is not darkness. And John said, I'm not telling you something you don't know. How many people have said something like this when they left a church where they were hearing the truth? We're just not being fed now that is certainly true in certain churches don't misunderstand there are times there are churches where the word of god is not being taught and preached and people are not being fed sometimes that's code for i don't like what i'm being fed so i want something different because i want something new we're like the athenians always seeking some new thing Uh, the word contemporary means new now we understand god is not a god of ancient history god is he's the i am He is always up to date and always present tense and always exactly what he needs to be and always all we need him to be. So God is not somewhere stuck back in the past. But the fact is God is not changing who he is because the world's changing. He's the same. And so when we try to come up with something new because we are discontented, then the sin is on our part. And John is saying, I'm not telling you something new. You know to love one another. And it's the same. And then he says, the commandment's the same. You're to love each other, and the definition of love is the same. Love is obeying God. That's it. When you love, when you obey God, you're loving God. And when you obey God, you're loving people. The most loving thing we can do for another is live a life of obedience to God. Nothing would be more loving to one another than to do that. So we dealt with that last week. John's commandments, he gives them a reminder through repetition that they're to love one another, and you do that by loving and obeying God. And then he's going to get into some words of caution, which is where we pick up tonight. He says, I'm telling you what I'm telling you about loving one another and keeping God's commandments. I think that's interesting. When you get a deceiver, ultimately he's going to lead you into disobedience to God. That's what deceivers always do. They use false doctrine to change your conduct. They get you believing something that's false so that you are permissive about what is sinful. I give you an Old Testament example, a guy named Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam was you need to go find those Midianites and uh, that's where your real joy and happiness is. Balaam was not allowed to curse God's people. Remember the story I'm talking about? He asked God because he had a price if he would curse God's people to get paid and he really wanted to curse God's people really bad. He tried time and time again and God stopped him over and over. So finally he figured out a backdoor approach. I'll teach the children of Israel through doctrine to disobey God, commit whoredom and idolatry, and then God will have to judge them. And he brought the curse, not by cursing them, but by getting them into disobedience with God. Satan's mechanics are no different today. In fact, Peter and Jude warn of those who have the doctrine of Balaam. Revelation speaks about the doctrine of Balaam, meaning we're going to teach doctrine that makes sin permissible in the life of the child of God. Today, it's called the doctrines of grace. Grace is a glorious thing, but when you take grace to twist it and pervert it and say that God is so gracious that you can do things that he has told you he is against his will in your life and that's okay, that is a perversion of God's word. 
The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness, not be permissive of it. Worldliness and, and these things, Titus 2 talks about, that if we're learning of grace and truly being taught of grace, holiness in our life, meaning a life that is obedient to God out of faith and love in Him, uh, for Him, is what is the fruit of, the, of, of what grace teaches you. It does not teach you to defy God, to disobey God, but to trust and obey That's what grace teaches. So there are many today perverting grace, calling it radical grace, extreme grace. You'll find there are 9.9 times out of 10 Calvinists. They, they, They have found the grace. And what they'll say is, this is a doctrine that the fathers understood that we've abandoned for years and now it's resurrected and it's a liberating truth. You don't have to be a legalist. You can just freely live in grace. You have Christian liberty. We must understand that liberty, though, is liberty to do uh, to be obedient to God. We were bound to disobey. You say, why are we teaching this, dealing with this now? Because deceivers, as I began to say, deceivers will always lead you to disobey God. And if you have some kind of a doctrine that you think is liberating that allows you to perpetually live in disobedience to God and assuage your guilt by that doctrine, that's a false doctrine. That's why John says the truth is if you love God, you obey him. And you've got deceivers coming in and you need to be aware of them that they're going to lead you out of the obedience to God. And if you love God, you've got to obey him. That's what love does. And if you love one another, you've got to be committed to obedience to God. You see, by the way, is the subject here salvation? Not at all. They're not talking about salvation. These are people who are already saved. They're already elect. They're in God's family. So salvation is not the issue. Watch out for the spin of those when we're talking about how saved people should live. Say, well, that you're saying that's how to be saved. No, no, no. We're saying if we're saved, we're supposed to love the one who saved us. And if we love the one who saved us, we want to do things the way he wants it done, not the way we want it done. We live by our lust before we got saved. We're supposed to live by love after we get saved. Amen. So you see the connection between truth and love, John immediately says, for I'm talking to you about what truth is and what love is and that the two go together because many deceivers are coming to the world. Pretty important to talk about truth when you're dealing with deceivers, isn't it? And that's what he's going to emphasize. If you, if you cling to the truth, that's how you love one another. And if you do that, then you're going to be able to defend yourself against these deceivers. So let's get into this. His words of caution Verses 7 through 9. He's going to begin to speak about the presence of deceivers. I was thinking about this very verse today, just used as an illustration. How many today act like, want to be, be come across these deceivers of our day as though the Bible is mystical and hard to understand? Now, there are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. The book of Ezekiel is a bit difficult, right? There are parts of the Bible, no doubt, are hard to understand. But let's take this verse. For Many, many means multiple. Deceivers, people who tell lies, are come into the world. How many of us have a hard time understanding what that means, or entered into the world? Meaning, with us in our lives, we have many, multiple deceivers. And you take almost any verse in the Bible, and it's that easy to understand. Almost any verse in the Bible. Now, I understand people that are lost don't get the spiritual understanding that goes with that. But even a lost man understands what many deceivers are entered into the world means. It's only a deceiver that tries to cloud that and say, what is the true meaning of that statement? (laughs) Whatever verse you want to pick. And I thought 
today is this thing through deceivers and what they do with the Bible. They cloud its meaning so that it leaves us questioning and doubting, and no doubt it was that way in this day. For many deceivers are entered into the world who what? Confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. I want to point something out that I really had not meditated on much. You may have heard this. You may be familiar with this concept. But if I were writing this, I would write, For many deceivers are entered into the world who deny, who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You know that's not what he said? He didn't say it's an action. He said it's an inaction. You discern these deceivers not by what they're saying, but what they're not saying. That is far more subtle, isn't it? May I say this? I think we don't emphasize enough the seriousness of sins of omission. What a person will not do says much about them. You know, there may be people that are not inherently doing evil, but they are not intentionally doing good. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I've had opportunity over the last couple of weeks, I made a very simple, simple statement online uh, about alcohol and its dangers and how it's sinful. Uh, and the amazing, the pushback on that from people who claim to be theologians. And the fact of the matter is, it's not a hard thing to understand, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is, is when you get people, uh, where am I trying to go with this, that, let me put it this way, those same people would say that it's good to not be drunken. They would even say, if you decide to abstain from alcohol completely, that's a good thing. But don't tell me on the authority of God's word that if I have a sip every now and then, I'm in sin now, I would say to that person, if you know it's good to abstain completely and you're not doing it, you're in sin. Amen? They would turn around one, on one side. They'd say, well, it's good if you want to abstain. That's a good thing. Then it's good, then do it. <laughs> yeah, there's a host of other principles upon which you could preach that. And I'm not trying to preach about alcohol tonight. I'm trying to say the fact of the matter is, is that these men are known not so much by what they confess, but what they refuse to confess. 1 John 4 says it the same way. Look at 1 John chapter 4, and I think this is an important point, so I want to emphasize it tonight. 1 John chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that, what? confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, here's the way he says it in 1 John 4. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So in both places, 1 John 4 and in 2 John, the, the, the emphasis is on the negative. It's on what they don't do. A true child of God should not have to be pushed in the corner and asked, do you believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? A confession is this. I've written in the margin of my Bible, according to Strong's definition, it means to assent, to covenant, or to acknowledge something. Uh, Webster's 1828 says it this way, to own, meaning I own it as my own personal conviction. To own, to acknowledge to declare, to be true, or to admit, or assent to in words, opposed to deny. There are those who will never own the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in the flesh, that he raised and came out of the grave in the flesh, and that right now he is, I thought about this today, he's come in the flesh, where? To earth, where else? To heaven. He is come in the flesh. 
Meaning he will always... How many of you know this? Jesus Christ in a body of flesh is eternal. He'll never cease to be in the flesh. That's why it doesn't say he came in the flesh. He is come in the flesh because that's how he came and that's how he is. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny he's in the flesh. A host of other people, if you pin them down and they truly told you what they believe, would believe the same thing. So here's why I think this is important. You'll not, if you pin a, 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 a someone who holds to Mormon doctrine in a corner and say, now do you believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh? What are they going to tell you? But that's not what they confess. Amen? Shouldn't have to pin them in a corner. If you believe it, you'll confess it. How many of you have told somebody recently, Jesus Christ is born of a virgin, raised bodily from the dead, and he's living right now? How many of you that would be? That's your belief. And what you, what you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. I've got problems with somebody who'll never make that statement and claim to be a Christian. Someone who'll never confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. You know that's salvation, right? Some teach salvation that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth all of thy sins. No, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. What? The one who was born of a virgin came in the flesh, is come in the flesh, is living in the flesh, and therefore is able to save us. Amen? And so then, uh, his, his, his caution is many deceivers, and here's what the deceiver is. Someone who does not, they confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, John, is he loving? What's he going to say? This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, you help me tonight. If you have any level of familiarity with this culture, is it a loving thing to say, that person that visited last Sunday, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular here because we didn't have a person like this last Sunday. But let's say they did. They are a deceiver and an antichrist. We have had men visit this church that I could say, that man is a deceiver and an antichrist. He is not welcome to fellowship with this church. Is that loving? It is. It's loving of God. It's loving of you because it's loving of truth. If we have to abandon the truth in the name of love, we have ceased to love. Our first and foremost loyalty is to truth. I'm going to say that again. Our first and foremost loyalty is to the truth. You know why? Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you and I abandon the truth for a personality, we have abandoned Christ for someone else. That's the truth. And the Bible says he is to have preeminence in all things. So when someone is a deceiver, and especially here's someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, we then are forced to either be loyal to him or loyal to them. And we have a world that wants to be loyal to the personalities rather than to principles. And a church will be noble. Listen to me. A church, and that includes this church, will be noble. And we say our loyalty is to the, the author of this book and therefore to the words of this book. That's our loyalty. And when someone says, you break your loyalty with that book, for me, what they're asking us to do is break our loyalty to our Savior because He's the truth. Amen? Our loved ones ought to know, when you ask me to love you more than this, and the author of it, you've asked something I cannot and I will not do. John says, love compels you to be loyal to the truth. Compels you to be. And so then... He cautions them of the presence of deceivers, and then he cautions them about the, the potential for damage. Look at verse 8. Look to yourselves. Now, why does he say that? He's going to explain that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a 
full reward. You know, you can invest a lot of years in somebody and lose every bit of it. I'm talking about saved people. Now, I, I want to be very careful when I say this because it could sound like it's a, it's a defense of personal things. How many hours do you think of study have gone into the last seven to eight years of preaching in this church? Dad, what do you think? Thousands and thousands. Prayer? How many, how many minutes of prayer do you think? To see folks get to a place where they can be stable spiritually. And when you allow deceivers in your life, all of that can be lost. Shipwreck you, and at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll have no reward, and then I've lost the reward that would have been invested in you. That's what John's talking about. Paul wrote to those that he was teaching the same way. He said, you, we don't want to lose our reward. Stay on course. <laughs> I don't want you to lose your reward, and we don't lose our reward. And John says, look to yourselves. He's speaking to this elect lady and her children collectively. What that means is take heed. Be cautious. Look to yourselves. Why? These deceivers, if you listen to them, are going to cause you to lose reward, and that's going to cause us to We're going to lose the things we've wrought. We've wrought labor on getting you to the place where you and your children are walking in truth. Now, don't let somebody pull you off that path through deceit. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2? That there are those who are taken captive of the devil at whose will? His will. And what does he use to captivate people? Lies. Be careful. I'm going to repeat what the Bible says. Look to yourselves. Who are you believing tonight? Who are you listening to tonight? Who is it that is influencing your mind to make the decisions you're making? Look to yourselves that we lose not our reward. Yeah, there's much labor invested in seeing people serve the Lord. John says this. He starts with, you're on course. But if you listen to those who will not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, those who will not boldly own Christ as he is given in the Bible, if there's somebody that claims to know Christ and they backpedal on who he is in Scripture, by the way, can I throw something in here? And I believe this to be true. I'm no prophet, not trying to be one. But I've watched a number of people who would claim to be fundamental in their faith backpedaling on a host of issues that the Scripture is abundantly clear on. The Bible is abundantly clear on a lot of things. And we've watched them change their beliefs and their system of beliefs about what church is, about what the home is, about the way the home is to operate, about the way a Christian should conduct themselves in their personal conduct. And in the name of grace and liberty and freedom, there is a greater conformity to the world than to the mind of the Spirit of God and therefore to Jesus Christ. I believe if that, if that mindset and the group that represents that stays on course, it won't be long before in the name of love they're going to water down who Jesus himself is. They say, well, we'll hold firm on everything. Now, we won't, we, this is negotiable and this is negotiable now, but we've got to be right on Jesus. They won't call him Jesus Christ already. Just Jesus. You with me? That crowd is moving toward a time where God is so gracious and God is so loving that he would not restrict folks to believe only in Jesus. Certainly, he understands that the sincerity of faith and perhaps Buddha is the same. And if they knew Jesus, they would believe on him. There are people already suggesting that. Not confessing that he is the Christ come in the flesh. That, that goes a long way. And I'm telling you, I'm going to say with fervency, you watch out for this liberty, so-called liberty-promoting, radical grace crowd. It's of the devil himself. 
It is so conflicting with the Bible that you have to bury your head somewhere other than in God's Word to come up with what they're preaching and teaching. It's perverse, it's seductive, it's appealing because your flesh would love it, and mine too. And I'm trying to say, look to yourselves. Why? That we lose not our reward. John did not say that we lose not our salvation. Salvation is not a reward. When the child of God comes under a deceiver, he does not lose his or her salvation. He does lose his or her reward. I don't know about you. I want a reward someday. I want to hear, well done. Then you must be loyal to the truth, and I must be loyal to the truth, come what may. And John's saying, look look to yourselves. Deceivers are coming in. In church, you need to be able to identify someone that's a deceiver. John says, someone that does not confess. It is not their, it is not their practice to boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Is that not what a confession is? An, an assent to? I'm not taught loudly proclaim. I'm just saying, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made. And they don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They are a deceiver and an antichrist. I am convinced there are many today who've pawned themselves off as Christians who do not know God. I'm talking about people teaching and preaching national ministries, worldwide ministries, who don't even know God. Because their message is not Christ. They use His name, but ultimately that's not the message. And so then, uh, the words of caution, there is the presence of deceivers, the potential of damage. He said in verse 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, the works that have been wrought among them, but that we receive a full reward. Verse 9, Whosoever, he's going to give some more definition to these folks, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. You know what this insinuates to me? There may be some who've made this proclamation, made this confession, but backpedal and change their minds on who Jesus is. I mean, you know, there are seminary professors who at one time proclaimed that Jesus was born of a virgin and then later decided to teach that perhaps he was not. By the way, you want to know if the Bible translation issue is important? These same virgin-born deniers translate our new, our new Bibles. I don't want anybody that denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh translating any portion of Scripture for me. They're teach, they've been teaching in Southern Baptist Seminary since the 1950s and allowed to remain. Men who deny the virgin birth. Now, do you think that gets into the pulpits of the men they train? Satan is subtle. God says, here's what happens. There are those who perhaps he says... Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Meaning the test is, does he stay loyal to the doctrine of Christ? And if he doesn't, he doesn't have God. If he ends up denying that Jesus Christ, you say, is that in other places of Scripture, you know what the parable of the, of the sower is? There are those who anon with joy receive it and say, oh, yes, I believe. But by and by when persecution comes, what do they, what do, they do? They have what kind of root? No root no root meaning it was all facade and what john says the test is if a person does not abide in the doctrine of christ they do not have god is it possible for someone to say the right words but not sincerely believe it in the heart of course it is and i'm not talking about i'm not talking about people uh who doubt their salvation i'm talking about i'm talking about apostates apostates know who Jesus Christ is. They know it from God's word, but they decide, I reject it. John's talking about apostates, men who've known the truth, perhaps at one time said, oh yes, me too. But ultimately, they do not believe that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh. They're not going to confess that. And if they transgress and abide not in the doctrine of Christ, it's not that they lost God. They don't have him. 
He doesn't have them. And so whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Now what's he say? The flip side is, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. You know what that tells me? The Holy Spirit knows how to preserve your faith. Does he not? I don't believe this. If you're indwelt with the Spirit of God, I don't believe it's possible for you to come to the place where you don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Because he has sealed us the day of redemption. And uh, he, would, he would take us home before he'd let us do that. And so then, uh, whosoever transgresseth, he's not talking about losing salvation, he's talking about the revelation of those who do not have the Lord. You deny Christ, you don't have God. I've heard people say something like this, well, those people are not Christians, but they love God. Not possible. Not possible. This, these verses show that. All right, and then he says this, giving his words of counsel, verses 10 and 11. So we've seen his words of caution, verses 7 through 9. Words of counsel, 10 and 11. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine... Show compassion, try to help them. So he says. And he's not talking about an unbeliever that doesn't know the truth. We're talking about people that are deceivers. How many understand there's a difference? Someone that's not been persuaded yet and someone that knows the truth and is teaching something opposite. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, and neither bid him God's speed. Now he's not talking about being ugly and nasty either. He's saying don't promote them, don't encourage them, don't help them. They're not they're religious, but they're not of God. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his what? Evil deeds. Teaching a doctrine of Christ or concerning Christ is contrary to who Christ is, is called evil. It's evil deeds. And he says, I don't want you promoting or partaking of their evil deeds. So the idea is don't receive them as though you're in fellowship. You're not. Don't give them the idea that you believe the same thing. You don't. Again, what Paul said on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. We've met some people this, this last couple of weeks, uh, two this last week, that has flat out denied that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is. Uh, one woman used his name. She was, she was new age. Imagine something, if that woman said, you know what, I want to come and fellowship with your church knowing what she believes. There's a reason we say this is our doctrine and if you want to unite with us, this is what you have to believe. What we're saying today is because we all need to be so united in the name of love, you've got to drop that. No, the opposite is true. Love is loyal to the truth. And so what John says, if they come to you, don't, don't, don't bring them into your home don't welcome, don't, don't, meaning don't use hospitality. What you're going to do then is treat their lie like the truth. How do you know that when we know something is a lie but we act like it's true, we are part of the sin? That's what he's saying. When they don't hold to the doctrine of Christ, you know they're a deceiver, so have no part with them. Don't promote it, don't partake of it, don't encourage it by welcoming them in. How many know there's a temptation, especially in this culture we're in today, to just, even if you know what somebody is saying is not true, act like it's true anyway because they'll get upset if you challenge them. You know what I'm talking about? It was the same 2,000 years ago. John said, no, don't welcome them in. Don't bid them Godspeed. Don't, when, as they go on their way, so God bless you and your work for God. They're not working for God. So don't do that. And there's a reason for that. Why? Let me ask you something. If I treat a deceiver like a truth teller, how long are my children going to walk in truth? They will respect that lie just like they would a truth. 
I've got to respond to a lie like it's a lie. Very important that we define a deceiver, especially in this spiritual realm, as he's talking about right here, if they do not have the doctrine of Christ. So let me bring this up to speed. How many of you have heard someone who has a good testimony of salvation refer to those that are in religions that deny? I've had a man that attended this church, claimed to be saved, claimed to have the Holy Spirit of God in him, but he said, I believe they are saved Jehovah's Witnesses. And I said, if they're truly Jehovah's Witnesses, they cannot be. And he said, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, here was his test. I can feel something between us. You may feel something between you, but they're not of God. There's a danger of this. And a church cannot let us guard down and say, you know what? We want to be kind and loving. John says, if you do, you've got to hold to the truth of Jesus Christ without budging. And so then those are his words of counsel. If they come, don't, don't welcome them and use hospitality. Don't bring them into the fellowship. Don't bid them Godspeed. For if you bid him Godspeed, mean God bless your work. You're partaking in his evil deeds. You're being part of it. And Paul told Timothy, be not thou partaker of other men's sins. When Paul said that in 1 Timothy 5, it had to do with laying hands suddenly on a man, recognizing him for the ministry. So they're along the same lines. Now, if you give some words of conclusion as we close tonight. Verse 12, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. <laughs> The best thing I noticed say on the conclusion, how many of you who text uh, some with some regularity go to write a text and you try it and you erase it and you try it and you erase it? I have a lot I need to say. I just can't put this in writing. And so you stop that and you pick up the phone and you dial it. Now, some are terrified to do that. They're just afraid to have a verbal conversation. John says, I not only want a verbal, I want a face-to-face. Now, look at you. You were talking about something that's needful. John says, there are some things I want to say to you But I just, it's so much I can't say it in writing. And for my joy to be full and your joy to be full, I'm going to have to come visit you and we're going to have to see each other and speak face to face. We oughtn't to miss that lesson, should we? There are some things, there are some, we we, we live in a cowardly culture. And I don't think John, John is saying this from a very, from a very warm heart toward these people. But the idea of a face to face conversation, Paul said it as a warning to the Corinthians. I would come to you and change my voice, he said. I would like to be present so you know I'm not a lot of steam in my writing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's what he said. John says to you, there's so many things I want to say to you, and I just can't write it. I'm going to have to come see you face to face. And he concludes, it, it, it's an affectionate closing that he loved these people enough. He said, I have so many things I want to say to you that I've written enough, and I'll come that our joy may be full. You know what he's saying? There's joy and fellowship between people who know and love the truth. There's joy and fellowship around the truth. And so tonight, you know what? True love never denies the truth. I believe we can come. If we have to soften our belief about Jesus Christ in the name of love, there is a deceiver somewhere nearby. Mm-hmm.